You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to read in verse 10 through verse 13. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation that I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we come in right now. We say again, here is our hearts. Speak to us through your Holy Spirit. We recognize that the word that you have given us is powerful. It is living and it is active. The only reason that it will not transform our hearts right now is if we do not come prepared just to hear a word from you. So Holy Spirit, give us faith. Help us to believe these words are true. Confront the sin in our lives that we have not confronted yet for our good and your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Hey, I want to see a show of hands. How many of you in here are on Instagram? Raise your hand. Not like right now, but just in general. Okay. How many of you have been on Instagram? Raise your hand. How many of you have just at least been? How many of you have heard of Instagram? Okay. All right. Good. If you didn't raise your hand at any of those, you should probably get out a little bit more. Okay. Um, Instagram is great. Because what's Instagram all about? Instagram is, is something, it's a social network where you post photos of yourself or if you have, if you're a parent, basically of your kids and you find out which one of your friends really care about you because they'll vote for your picture or like it or whatever else. So Instagram, basically what it is, is this big social scoreboard that either makes you, um, incredibly insecure or incredibly false confident and how many friends you really have. So Instagram's great. Like, what's not to love about it, okay? Here's the deal, though. What we all need to realize today is that Instagram is not real. With all of the angling, all of the cropping, and all of the filtering, Instagram is not real life. And here's why it's important that we get that today. Because if you're anything like me, what I tend to do at times is I'm scrolling through Instagram and what appears to me to be is that everyone out there has their life together. When I'm scrolling through Instagram, I'm looking and it's like, man, there's another perfect family sitting in their perfect house, driving their perfect car, on their perfect vacation with their perfect tans. And what happens is as I'm looking at this in my soul, I begin to get a little restless. Right? FOMO settles in. The fear of missing out to where I look and I'm like, man, why can't I have a tan like that? Right? Or, or why can't I go on a vacation like, like they go on? And if I can be honest, right? Hopefully I can and you won't judge me this morning. As much as I would like to look at all of your Instagram accounts and rejoice in your life, usually I just get more discontent with my life. And to make myself feel better, what I typically do is look down on you for having something that I want to have but I can't have to make myself feel better about not having what you have. So I look and I'm like, oh, great, you got a brand new Jeep. That's awesome. 
I could probably get the same thing if I was willing to go in debt like you probably are. (laughs) Wow, you won another race. That's awesome. I wish you cared as much about godliness and trained for that as hard as you do for CrossFit. Wow, your kids look beautiful. Yeah, congratulations. You have like little baby models. And they all look right at the camera and they all smile perfectly. Too bad they're all a little bit creepy and they're going to probably be in jail when they get older and not have any friends. What's wrong with us? Why do we do this? You know why? Because we're Americans. That's why. And Americans don't do contentment. In fact, if you're here right now and you're like, okay, I'm realizing Jared's preaching on contentment today. There's probably some of you that are like, I knew I should have slept in. Like I knew I should have traded with that person who asked me to trade weeks with them in the nursery. Right? Like I knew it. Right? Like contentment? Seriously? Like Jared, what about like the biggest bang for your buck? What about ambition? Right? What about shooting for the stars? What about, you know, just, just going hard after it and getting whatever we can as quick as we can get it? I mean, the contentment? That's not American. I mean, is that even biblical? Contentment? And listen, if that's where you are, I, I get it. Like contentment is not sexy. It's not a sexy topic. We don't like thinking about contentment. We certainly don't like talking about contentment. Or listening to sermons about contentment. But here's what I submit to each of you. Though we don't like thinking about it and talking about it. It's something every single one of us want. We all are searching for contentment. I mean think about this. How many of you have ever met someone who is truly content? Did you like that person? You loved them. You know why? Because a content person enjoys life in such a way, they genuinely can celebrate your successes. They genuinely can be happy about the fact you got a promotion, even if you didn't deserve it. They are people who do not try to promote themselves. They're not like the one upper guy where you're like, hey man, I just bench pressed 250 today. And they're like, that's awesome, man. I bench pressed 260 whenever I was eight, but it's awesome. Hey, no, no, no. Seriously, this story's about you. It's not about me. I was just bringing it up because you brought us about bench press. So I brought it up. And so, but anyways, it's all about you. Great job, man. Good start. Keep it up. Right? Content people don't do that. Content people truly enjoy life in a profound way, no matter what their circumstances are. To some of you, that seems like a pipe dream today. But what Paul tells tells us is that this rumor of contentment can go from rumor to reality in your life. And he's going to show us how. If you look with me again, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. You might want to underline that word rejoice. The word that Paul uses here for rejoice in the Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, literally means I celebrate in. It means to celebrate. It's interesting, isn't it, that in Philippians 4.4, Paul commands the Philippian church, he says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. In other words, celebrate in the Lord. I'll say it again, celebrate. And then he models this for him. He says, I am having a celebration in the Lord right now. Now, why is this interesting? Because think about this. Where is Paul when he's writing this letter? Does anybody know? He's in prison. 
Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. He is a prisoner chained to some other poor soul, blocked in the cell, and he says, I am having a celebration in the Lord. He then goes on, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived, talking to the, uh, the Philippian church, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Scholars are a little confused on what Paul was talking about here, but basically what they all agree on is apparently the Philippian church wanted to give Paul a gift. They wanted to bless him while he was in prison. They wanted to give him some resources, but apparently they didn't get it to him as quickly as they wanted to, or maybe didn't get as much to him as they wanted to. But Paul's not focusing on that. Yeah, he says, man, I just rejoice that you're concerned. That's great, man. Let's have a celebration. He then goes on in verse 11 and he says, not that I'm even speaking of being in need. Is that not weird? It looks like Paul would be in need. I mean, he's in prison. He has no friends, no finances, no freedom. I mean, Paul, it looks like you're in need. What are you talking about? I'm not speaking as one who is in need. So I'm not speaking of one who is in need. Here's why. For I have learned, and you might want to circle that word learned. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Hold up one minute, Paul. You've learned in whatever situation how to be content. Paul, Paul, you've been shipwrecked, literally. You mean to tell me that while you're hanging on to a piece of driftwood in the middle of ocean that you were content? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Paul, you've been bitten by a venomous snake. You talking about whenever you had that, that poison just flowing through your veins and you didn't know if you were going to make it? Even then, you were content? Yeah. Paul, you've been beaten and left for dead. You mean like when you were bleeding out on the ground, you were still content? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Paul, you're in prison. The government is coming down on you for preaching the gospel. You pretty much lost it all and you're content? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. There it is again. I have circled that word, learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul says, I have learned the secret to being content. I've learned how to be content, whether I'm rich or I'm poor, whether I have plenty or I have nothing, whether things are going really good or things are going really bad. I have learned the secret to contentment. This is incredible. How many of you in here honestly can say without any hesitation, I am right now currently 110% content in this life? How many of us can honestly say, I don't need a better job? I don't need more money. I don't need more square footage. I don't need a better house or a better spouse. I am 110% content no matter what. I can't say that. In fact, even this past week, while I was at Starbucks working on this sermon, Nathan McCallum comes in and pulls out his awesome little Bible. And I begin to covet it. And I'm like, man, where'd you get that Bible? He's like, oh man, haven't you heard evangelicalbibles.com, dude? It's awesome. It's like, be prepared to spend a lot of money. Lots of great Bibles on there. And so like he has me on there. I'm looking at it. 
And I find the Bible like, ooh, man, I have to have. I'm not even talking to Adam about it. Unfortunately, um, it was sold out. And so actually, it's probably a good thing. So I'm preaching the sermon on contentment. And but, but here I am, and I'm like, man, I need to be content with what I have. I mean, I've got a $15 Bible, but I'm not coveting this other Bible, which, by the way, Adam, thanks a lot for bringing that Bible this morning, like setting it right there in front of me while I preach. <laughs> Apparently, Adam already has this Bible because the elders at his other church gave it to him just to be a blessing. So... And then he just sets it here and says, I just want you to feel this before you go preach. I'm not, I'm not a very content person most days. And what blows my mind is as I'm reading this passage, Paul says, I'm content. But there's nothing in his life circumstances that says he should be. He's not rich. He's not famous, he's not married, he's not healthy, he's not good looking, and yet he says, I've learned to be content. I mean, Paul's in prison, and he's saying this. He's dirt poor, he's separated from those that he loves, and he says, I've learned to be content. Well, he has my attention, because contentment is elusive in my life. And in fact, I'd say it's elusive in every human being's life because of the fall. If you remember Adam and Eve from the beginning of time, if you look back in Genesis, you don't have to look. You can just listen. God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in a garden. And literally, he says, I've created everything good and for your enjoyment. You can have anything you want. But what? Don't eat of this one little tree on the side, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Everything else, it's all yours. Enjoy it. Go after it. Let it just create pleasure that, 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 that in return boils up into worship towards me. But don't eat of this tree. But what did Adam and Eve do? They eat of the one tree God told them not to eat of. They had to go after that one thing that God said you cannot have. Guys, are we any different? I think as human beings, we always, because we are like Adam and Eve more than we think, always want to go after that one thing that is just beyond our reach. Man, if I could just, if I could just get this, then I know I would be happy. If I could just have that kind of spouse, if I could just get that promotion, if I could just live in that city, then I know I would be content. This is the temptation for every one of us. And because of sin, it starts at birth. We see this at a very early age. And just to prove my point, I'm going to put a video on the screen of you of my own kids. It's a nine-second clip. And just to set it up for you. Oh, pause. Why are you crying, buddy? Can you pause that? Okay, all right. I appreciate the promptness to start that video. But let me set it up. Um. Let me set sign up for you real quick, okay? If we can rewind that and go back. Basically, what we have here is, this is my son, Wyatt, with that terrible look on his face. This is my daughter, Nora, that was beside him there. And she has this little orange blow-up pumpkin. Uh, I, I don't know what she was doing with it, but Wyatt had never played with it in his entire life. He sees that Nora has it, and he throws a fit because she has it and he don't, okay? So here's the video. Cue it. Right. Why are you crying, buddy? Okay, would you please wait just a little bit? I can't. Ken doesn't know how, but I don't know how. You can't wait? Uh-uh, I don't know how to wait. Okay, so you're crying because you want it now and you can't get it now? Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> One more time. 
Uh, that is my child. That's right. Here's why I share that. Listen, everybody, listen. There will always be a Nora in your life. There will always be somebody with some sort of orange blow-up pumpkin in your life. There will always be somebody who has something that you don't have that you want, even if you don't really need it. And the temptation will be to covet that thing. The temptation will be for you to do whatever you can to get that thing because you will, if you're not careful, believe the lie that if I don't have that thing just beyond my reach, I will never truly be happy. Now, here's the question. What is that for you right now? Who is that Nora in your life right now? What is that orange pumpkin? What is it that you will literally make yourself miserable and those around you miserable until you can get it. You know what it is for me? Just being completely transparent with you. It's a successful ministry. I mean, I remember whenever we had six people in this church. And I thought to myself, you know what? If we could just get 50 people. Then I'd be content. Because when you get 50 people, guess what that made us? An Acts 29 church. And I loved Acts 29. Man, we could be an official Acts 29 church. But you know what happened when we got 50? I want 75 because that's the average size church in America. I at least want to be average. Get to 75. Well, I'm going to get triple digits, 100 people. 150, 200. Man, that'll do it because very few churches ever hit 200, especially this early on. If we can just break the 200 barrier, I really will. I can just like, oh, man, I can, I'll just feel this pressure release. Get to 200, man, I want 250. And because I care for having a successful ministry at times more than I even care about Jesus, I've made people around me miserable at times. There's been times where I walk into my home, my wife needs my help, and she's wanting to emotionally talk to me about something, but she can just tell my mind is totally somewhere else. Because I've got to fix that problem. We've got to grow. We've got to get beyond. We've got to move times where I've probably used guilt to motivate some of you rather than grace and hurt you as a result. All because I have to get something just beyond my reach. If I can just get that, then I will be satisfied. For some of you, you're like, well, I'm not in ministry, bro. But if you stop and think about it, I mean, think about in high school for many of us, what was, what was, what were we thinking in high school? If I can just graduate high school, then I'll be happy. But then what happens after graduation? If I can just graduate college, then I'll be happy. Okay, if I can just get a job, then I'll be happy. No, okay, now I want a real job, not that job. I want a spouse, that'll do it for me. No, not a spouse, we need kids. Okay, no, we need to get the kids out of the house, right? Like, that's what will make me happy. Man, it's this never-ending cycle. It's this never-ending search for things that ultimately cannot satisfy us. And that's what Paul is even trying to show us here in verse 12. Notice how bizarre is this. Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to what? Abound. I know how this is in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret to facing plenty and Hunger, abundance, and need. Now, why would Paul say you have to learn how to be content when you're rich? 
Isn't the temptation to think, well, if I'm rich, why wouldn't we be content? Why does Paul say, I had to learn how to be content whenever I had everything right there at my fingertips. I could get whatever I wanted. Why? Because the reality is getting more stuff does not equal more contentment. In fact, typically, the more we get, the more we want. I remember whenever I was first hired in ministry. There I am. Look how young and fresh and excited I was about just preaching the word, man. That's the people's pastor right there. Man, I was excited. And you know what? In that picture, you know how much money I made a year? I, I thought about this past week. I literally made in one year only about a, a, probably about $1,000 more than I make right now in a month. And it's not because I'm loaded now, by the way. It's because I literally worked for peanuts then. I didn't own a home. I didn't have a MacBook. I didn't have an iPhone. I didn't have an iPad. I didn't have some sort of big, successful ministry or anything like that. But I look back at that picture, and I started thinking this past week about how it's true that there's a lot of times I feel like I was more content then than I even am now. You know why? Because more stuff does not equal more contentment. More success, more money, more influence, it does not equal more contentment. John D. Rockefeller is considered to be the wealthiest American of all time of virtually every source. And many people consider him to be the richest person in modern history. Today, in today's market, Rockefeller would be worth $200 billion. One time a reporter asked him, they said, hey, how much is enough? You know what his response was? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Guys, contentment is not found in getting more stuff. I promise you. So the question is, where is it found? How can we today find true contentment no matter what circumstances we face? Well, Paul tells us verse 13. Paul says, I've learned to be content no matter what situation. How is it possible? Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me come to find out the secret to contentment this secret has a name and that name is jesus christ come to find out what paul says you want to know how to really find contentment you want to see it go from rumor to reality in your life it happens whenever you embrace when you receive the god man jesus christ who came to this earth and laid down everything he had for you It comes through realizing that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life you could not live. He died a death that you truly deserve to die. And then he rose from the dead, conquering all of that so that now in him, you really can find the longings of your soul satisfied. It's so funny, isn't it? A lot of times when we think of Philippians 4.13, it's quoted when? In games, Tim Tebow puts it on his eye paint or whatever, right? Philippians 4.13, man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means I can hit that home run, praise God. I can score that touchdown. And hey, maybe you want to use it for that. That's great. That's fine. But Paul says here in the context of this passage, this verse is not about you getting an athletic victory. It's about you getting a content life, which is way better and way greater and way more difficult than winning a game. 
Paul says you want to be content, you want to live a life of thanksgiving, not just on Thanksgiving Day, but live a life of continual thankfulness. You want to have joy in your life. You want to have rest for your soul no matter what. Here's the secret. It is Jesus. He is the one who will strengthen you to be content no matter where you are, what you have or don't have. He will make you content in little or in lots. We are all searching for contentment. And you need to know today, please hear me. Please don't learn this the hard way. Contentment is not found in landing that date. Contentment is not found in getting that promotion. Contentment is not found in you filling that bank account or, or building that new home. If you want true Unshakable contentment, no matter what, it is found in Jesus. In Hebrews 13, 5, the writer says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. How's that possible? Because God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the secret. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. See, the secret to contentment is this, guys. Listen, the secret to living a content life is living with an awareness of God right now in your life. It's living with an awareness of who God is and what he's done for you in Christ. It's an awareness that God is with me. He is for me. He is working in me. And even if everything else falls apart or everyone else leaves me, God, because of Jesus, will never leave me nor forsake me. That's the secret. Now, why then do we, who claim to be Christians, not feel content right now? Because living with a God awareness is just about impossible in our culture. We're so stinking busy, we very rarely live with a full awareness of God's presence in our life. This does not come easy. That is why if you look in verse 11 and verse 12, what does Paul say? Does he say contentment came easy for him? No, what does Paul say? He said, I had to, verse 11, learn how in whatever situation to be content. In verse 12, he says it again. He says, I had to learn the secret of facing plenty or being in need. If you have to learn something, what does that mean? It means it's not a natural born instinct. If you have to learn something, that means you have to work at it. You have to practice it. So what Paul is saying here is literally, I had to learn how to be content. I had to practice it. I had to work at it. So what does that mean? That seems kind of subjective. What does it mean to practice contentment? Well, Paul says in Philippians 4.13 that contentment is rooted to Christ. So what Paul is saying is I had to practice the presence of God in my life. I had to practice, I had to work at basically being in two places at once. Paul says, you know how I'm able to be content in prison? Because I realize that though I'm in prison, I'm also in the presence of God. That's why I'm able to be content. Paul says, you want to know how I'm able to be content whenever I'm clinging to a piece of driftwood in the ocean? Because I know at the same time, Christ is clinging to me. You know how I'm able to be content? Because whenever everyone else leaves me or forsakes me because they're afraid they're going to lose their lives, I know God will never leave me or forsake me. He says, that's how I am able to remain content. Listen, guys. We're getting close to ending. Listen, hang with me. Some of you are so discontent right now. So discontent. 
I mean, you don't even realize how much you are coveting and always wanting that thing beyond your reach. And a big reason I think that is, is because for the majority of us possibly in the room today, we have limited our awareness of the presence of God to a Sunday morning event at best. If even now, I mean, are you aware of the presence of God this morning? Or are you just listening to a guy preach about God? I was thinking about Job this past week. How come Job was so much different than his friends? Because Job's friends talked about God. Job talked to God. Some of you just listen to me talk about God. You're not even communing with God. And you're so discontent. We have got to learn, guys. That's what's really the main reason this service exists, I think, is for you to slow down, to stop looking at your phone, to stop thinking about your to-do list, and sit in the presence of God. To listen to the songs, to sing those back, to listen to the preaching of God's word, which is alive and active. It's like his presence. He's he's here speaking it to us. You've got to learn to be in two places at once if you're going to live a content life. You've got to learn how to be in the grocery store and in the presence of God. You've got to learn how to be folding laundry and wiping a baby's bottom and be in the presence of God. You have to learn how to be at work and in the presence of God or you will never be content with your life. In Colossians chapter 2, I just read this this past week. I've never in my life, this verse had never jumped out to me until this week. But in verse 6, I was reading through Scripture. I thought, man, that's perfect for Sunday morning. I need to share that. Paul says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Think about that. If you're a Christian, why does Paul have to command you to walk in Jesus? Because it's possible to be a Christian and not walk in Jesus. He had to command... The Colossians, walk in the presence of God. Be aware of his presence. Rooted, verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. And look, what's the result? Abounding in thanksgiving. Living a life of contentment. I wonder... I wonder how many of you believe this right now. I mean, listen, guys, I'm in front of a crowd. I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. I wish I could have this conversation with you like on a couch or something. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you really believe this stuff right now? And how many of you are just thinking, I knew that it was just going to be, it's all about Jesus. Because listen, I was there at one point. I grew up in the church. I was in a church service three times a week. But many of you know my, my testimony. I did not truly become a Christian until I was 20 years old. And the big reason for that is because I believe though Jesus could save me, he could not satisfy me. And therefore, as a result, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to give Jesus my afterlife. I just didn't want to give him this life. I wanted him to be my savior. I just didn't want him to be my Lord. But the reality is, if he doesn't come as Lord, he doesn't come at all. You know why I didn't submit my life to Jesus as Lord? Because I did not think that he could make me content. Therefore, I said, no, I got to spend money the way I'm going to spend money. I got I want to do with girls whatever I want to do with girls. I want to go wherever I want to go and whenever I want to do it. And then at the very end of my life, I want you to let me into your heaven so I don't burn in hell forever. That's not Christianity. And it wasn't until I was 20 years old, man, I remember it. Man, I remember it. I, I mean, I was depressed. I literally was ready to end my life because I was searching for satisfaction in a hundred different things and could not find it and could not figure out for the life of me. How am I going to get satisfied in this life? And I was 20 years old and a guy named Bart Millard shares his testimony. 
He had just lost his dad in a tragic accident, but you could just see the joy in his eyes as he talked about how Jesus is everything. And I remember sitting right there and listening to his testimony and saying, I don't know that God, but I really want to. And so I just got on my face before God and said, God, please, please, I want to know you in that way. And I felt for the very first time God saved me and his presence surrounded me. And, and, and those that knew me at that time, they would vouch for this. I got up off the floor and I said, I don't need this girl. I don't need these friends. I don't necessarily need this job. I don't necessarily have to pursue this uh, career. I don't have to live in this place. I have God and he is enough. He's enough. He is enough. Do you believe that today? He is good. Now, there's been many days since then, as I've already shared, where I have been content and many days where I have not been. And always the correlation between contentment and not is me living with an awareness of who God is and what he has done for me in Christ. When I'm crazy busy and I'm focused on everything I have to do and I'm always running, I'm not slowing down, I'm discontent. When I learn how to be in two places at once, I am content no matter what this is an important word for us this morning fellowship it's an important word because some of you are in a really difficult marriage right now it's an important word because some of you are about to suffer immensely and you don't even know it it's an important word because we have kids who are having issues in school It's an important word because some of us, because of bad decisions in the past, are in crazy debt. It's an important word because community doesn't always come through for us like we need them to. Jesus always comes through. Always. This is the secret to contentment, to remaining in Christ. Guys, the good news is this morning, if Paul can learn how to be content, guess what? You can learn how to be content because you have the same spirit in you that was in him. You can be content. Is it going to come easy? No. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort. It's not going to come overnight, but we can learn to do it. And guess what? Over the next year, as pastors, we have already begun to work hard to craft out a whole sermon series. We've got the sermon series planned throughout the year. We've got curriculum planned, all this kind of stuff to try the best we can to help create space for you to learn how to be content in Christ. And I want to encourage you to start that now. To engage in daily rhythms now of spending time reading the scriptures and praying. To carve out weekly rhythms like Sabbath and monthly rhythms like fasting from social media or, or whatever. Plan out annual rhythms in your life, in your family that can remind you of the goodness of God. For me and my wife, one of the annual rhythms we have, by the way, just to explain this a little further, is every year for our anniversary, ever since we've been married, Megan and I have read Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 together. And then we've re wrote the passage for where we are in our lives to remind us to be content in Christ. And so let me just show you quickly what that looks like. In verse 17 of Habakkuk chapter 3, it says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the field produces no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer, and he enables me to tread on the heights. This is actually a painting that we have over our house in our kitchen. And every year for our anniversary, we get together in different places, wherever we so happen to be that year for our anniversary, and we rewrite it. So this year, we were at Porcelino's in uh, Memphis. And I think I have, can I put that on the screen? Do we have that graphic, Ryan? So, yeah, there it is. Um, I really can't read it from here, from there, so I'm just going to pull it off my phone. Here's what we wrote out this year that lines up with Habakkuk chapter 3. 
Even if we do not go full term with this pregnancy, we just found out she was pregnant. Even if our children die before us, if all that we have worked for collapses and fellowships cease to exist, if everyone in our church left and our bank account shrunk, still we'll rejoice in the Lord. Our hope will remain rooted in the one who has saved and satisfied. Health, finances, family, success, popularity, and everything under the sun will one day fade, but God is constant. His promises are sure. And when we walk in his ways, he keeps us light. Do you believe that today? When we first wrote that, we were talking about that this morning, we literally didn't have a home and we couldn't afford to buy anybody Christmas presents because we didn't have any money in our names, didn't have any kids, had tons of debt. Sometimes there are seasons where it's really hard to believe this, but at the end of the day, man, there is nothing else to cling to. Now, is it easier to write this out than live this out? Absolutely, but we have to begin to practice it. Put things in your life to remind you of this truth. Listen, if you were here today and you are a Christian, begin to practice the presence of God through the spiritual, through prayer, through reading scripture, through times you can carve out and be reminded of God's word and what he's done through community, through fight clubs. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, listen, today's your day to become one. Right now. All of your doubts, all of your fears, all of your struggles, all of your sins. Today is the day to trust in Jesus. Listen, do you realize, we're almost done, I promise. Do you realize you're here for a reason this morning? And do you know why you're so lonely right now? You know why you're so frustrated? You know why you struggle with anger, why you just live in despair? It's because you were made for more than this world. You were made for Jesus. And until you are at rest in him, your soul will never find rest. If your contentment ultimately is rooted in the world, it will not last. But if it's rooted in Christ, it will not leave.